0: A welcome. Um, first to introduce ourselves, my name's Christina, and this is Chaz, who will also be helping me teach this weekend. Um, I know some of you are very familiar with IMS, regular visitors, recidivists, and a very warm welcome to you. I hope it feels like a homecoming to you. And I also know that there's quite a number of you who are who are new to IMS, and um, <clears throat> I'm aware it can feel a little daunting when you first arrive here in this environment and a lot of people and a very big building. And you may feel slightly lost at first or a little curious about what's going on, but I, I truly encourage you to relax, really relax, really enjoy being here in the springtime, in nature, and in the practice, too. So this evening, i just <clears throat> like to give you a little bit of an overview of the weekend. Uh, speak some about the practice, but also speak about the context of the practice. Now, the Buddha once said that just as the great oceans only have one taste, which is the taste of salt, he said too that this path and this teaching only has one taste which is the taste of freedom, and that this taste of freedom runs through the whole of the path and the practice, from its surface to its depths. So I'd really like us to frame our weekend and our practice in that way, to savor those tastes of freedom that we can find within our bodies, within our minds, within our hearts. Now, as probably many of you know, the Buddha never just taught meditation. Instead, very much what he taught was the cultivation of a meditative life. The cultivation of a way of being which touches every area of our life, no part left out. And he spoke very much about cultivating the climate inwardly that really lends itself to that meditative life. And sometimes he spoke about the path in in these four dimensions beginning with generosity, and then integrity or goodness of heart, and then the collectedness, the mindfulness we can cultivate moment to moment, and growing from that, the insight, the wisdom. And these four of generosity, integrity, collectedness, and insight. They're like an, our arms and our legs. They're like the four limbs of one body. And uh, very much this weekend, we will be actually focusing on all four of these areas. And in our formal practice, we will, of course, be really exploring what it means to have a, a collected heart an undistracted mind, a calmness of being. Now the generosity, of course, that the Buddha spoke about was really not just about material generosity. but It is really speaking about the attitude of heart that is just so essential and so important for deepening and understanding and calmness. We learn to be, on one level, very generous with each other on retreats because we very soon see that if we're not, it hurts. And we're generous with each other in many ways because you see what happens when you come together in a large group of people living closely together. You know, many of you will be in rooms with people you've never met before who may have irksome habits although we hope not. But the generosity is really countering our, our tendencies to, for, towards irritability and to be judgmental, all our ideas of how people should be, how we should be, how the world should be. Generosity includes tolerance and forbear- forbearance and forgiveness. And this is actually one of our primary lessons meditation, learning how to be generous with ourselves. Because we see that our relationships with other people tend to be just a kind of extension of our relationship with ourselves. And so often in this world, people live with the tyranny of the inner judge, the demand, the comparing, the evaluating all the ways that we are far less than generous with ourselves. We learn to be generous with our forbearance in the practice, in our willingness to begin again in all the moments that we find ourselves getting lost. We learn to be generous with our attention, our mindfulness, really to be as as wholehearted as we're able to be, a weekend retreat, I know sometimes it might feel like a very long retreat, but it's a very short time, and I really encourage you to to bring as, as much wholeheartedness and as much fullness of being and calmness as you're able to bring to this weekend. The second limb of the practice is the integrity, which Chaz will speak about more. But it's so much seeing that that goodness of heart is really what brings so much joy and happiness in our lives. And very often when the Buddha spoke about integrity, he spoke about it as thoughts of loving kindness, words of loving kindness, and acts of loving kindness offered to ourselves, offered to others. Now all of these, you know, the, the generosity, the integrity, all carry within them a taste of freedom. Because it, it is letting go of that burden of of demand, of should, of, of withholding, of intolerance towards ourselves or others. And it's upon this ground of of kindness. It's really upon this ground of of kindness and, and generosity that we learn in our practice and in our lives what it means to gather and to collect our attentiveness. What it means to cultivate that very so precious calmness of being, serenity of heart. to know what it feels like for our hearts to be a refuge for ourselves, for our minds really to be a friend. And so much in this practice we are really learning what that can be, to have a mind and a heart that truly feels to be a friend. Now, we know that there is so much in life that can torment us. Adversity, difficult people, difficult situations, difficult experiences. But we're probably all aware, otherwise we wouldn't be here, (coughs) that there's not so much that can torment us in this life as our own mind, as our own heart with its tendencies towards obsession and anxiety and and worry and rehearsal and the carrying of the past. There is also, of course, much in this life that is wonderful and lovely, that brings happiness, wonderful people, wonderful situations, wonderful experiences. But there is also not so much in the world that can bring so much happiness and so much joy as a calm and peaceful heart. And this is what we are really cultivating here. A climate of wakefulness, a receptive climate, learning how to listen to ourselves, learning how to listen to life, learning how to listen to the moment. I find myself in recent times often kind of drawing upon some of the earliest instructions I was given myself in meditation practice. And one of the first instructions I was ever given by my teacher was to find a secluded place with long views which was fairly easy on a Himalayan mountainside. But I've also come to understand that this is actually so central to what we do all the time in practice, to find a secluded place with long views. Now, on one level here at IMS, we have a fairly secluded environment. You notice that there's You know, not that much adornment. There's, you know, we don't show movies. You know, we don't, as far as entertainment goes, this, I'm afraid, I apologize, is as good as it gets. (laughs) Apart from lunch. (laughs) But we have this kind of secluded place quite intentionally. And also I know that many of you really let go of quite a lot to come here. Busyness your schedule, your diaries, and we're going to ask you to let go of even more, your cell phones and, you know, your Blackberries. But there is something about really cultivating that kind of simplicity inwardly and outwardly. It's kind of stripping away the things that we really don't need in this moment, and when we strip away some of those layers, we create the space and the spaciousness in which we can learn to attend to what truly matters. You know, there's a wonderful part of a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye. And she says, "When someone invites you to a party, remember what parties are like before answering." You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight, you have a new project, it will never be finished. Walk around feeling like a leaf, knowing you could tumble any second, then decide what to do with your time. Now I think it is important to recognize that the the secluded place, of course, is not just an external environment. We can be very unsecluded in seclusion. We can be very unsecluded in seclusion. I mean, there are ways, as far-fetched as it might seem in the moment, where if the mind, if the heart is restless and agitated, it can find so many things to do here. You know, reading tea boxes, housekeeping job instructions, you'll never have to do the job. But they certainly look it more interesting than being with your own mind. You know, We can be very unsecluded in a secluded place. We can be very busy with other people, you know. How you know, why you know, how come they've got that kind of shawl, is the right kind of uniform, you know? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, we can just get so busy with anything. Parallel agendas. I might say. This is a way to get really busy. You know, we have a schedule on the board. It's pretty simple, isn't it? What do we do here? We sit, we walk, we sit, we walk. In fact, you know, my son, who's in his 20s, he he once took with his cell phone a picture of my daily schedule and he emailed it to all his friends and it became a sort of standing joke or or the sort of uh, manifestation of what they thought was the ideal job. You know, oh, look what your mother's doing now. Oh, she's sitting. You know, oh, look, she's having a walk. Oh, she's sitting again. Oh, lunch, more sitting, a walk. And it becomes this kind of idea like this is a job they aspire to. So I did invite them all to come on a retreat and just see how easy it all was for themselves. But I really encourage you to, to just for a weekend give up the parallel agendas. It's so exhausting, all the negotiating. You know, it's sitting, oh no, maybe I should have a coffee, maybe it's nap time, you know, or, you know, I haven't checked out the vegetable garden. It's walking, oh no, i got to do it. It gets so tiring. You know, just try and just let go of it all. You know, the bells go. Just do, you know, follow where everybody's going. You know, we're not doing anything extra. We're just sitting or walking, (laughs) just sitting or walking. It just makes life really simple. And it also cultivates that kind of inner seclusion where you really can just attend. Just attend. Just simplify. Just learn to be with what is. The long views, a secluded place with long views. I find that nature is a great ally in this practice. You know, sometimes our hearts can feel tight, contracted, just to stand outside, be aware of the stillness of the trees, the bigness of the sky here, the views over the hills, the space, really learning to receive what nature is, the invitation that nature is always offering us to be present, to be receptive, to see, to hear deeply. It's an ally in calming our hearts. But the long views are also inward. You know, it is so easy to, to Inclined towards judging our practice and ourselves by the experience of the moment. Oh, that was a good sit. I'm getting somewhere. Oh, that was a terrible sitting. I'm a failure. I'm a hopeless yogi. I'll never be able to do this. It's easy to judge ourselves by the contents of our mind. Oh, look how agitated I am, you know. I'm supposed to all these people sitting around looking like Buddhas, you know, and I'm just pretending, you know. And it's so easy to get that kind of contractedness. And I think we really need a long view of this path, what we are cultivating, what we are dedicated to. You know, the Buddha said that this path has one direction and one outcome, and that is freedom, the liberation of the heart. We just need to show up, begin again, no conclusions, and we have long views. The second instruction that I was giving, and you see it a lot in the teaching, is to free ourselves of indebtedness. I'm going to explain that one. First, it really puzzled me. But you can you may know, or you may have experienced in the past, what it feels like when we're in debt. you know, when we owe someone a great deal, or something a great deal of money, the worry that comes, the fear, the anxiety about the future. And then imagining or experiencing that we're suddenly able to pay off that debt, the, sudden, the sense of lightning the sense of relief and freedom. Now being free of indebtedness in this teaching is is really not so much about material, but it's more about learning to liberate our hearts from emotional and psychological indebtedness. And when we spend some time with ourselves and we sit and we walk, sometimes it becomes clear very quickly what we are indebted to, because that's what keeps dragging our attention, calling out at our attention, nagging at our attention sometimes. It's what we dwell upon, what we find ourselves not at peace with. The loops, sometimes our minds go round. It's what agitates us. So what do we do with all of this? It's not about pushing it away. It's not about repressing it, it's not about ignoring it, but it's about understanding what it means to make peace with our lives, inwardly and outwardly. Sometimes an outer act of peacemaking is needed to free ourselves from indebtedness, but sometimes it's an inner act of peacemaking simply sometimes the understanding that we don't always get what we want or even feel that we need people who are not always who we want them to be. It might be forgiveness and compassion. Liberating ourselves from debt is often an inner shift when we put down the arguments with the way things are and understand the kindness of letting go the kindness of letting go. So within this environment of kindness, of generosity, of integrity, we really learn learn to calm and to collect our attention. We learn to practice calmness, to be calmness. We learn to practice being at peace with what is, not outside of it. We learn to practice this moment to moment, moment to moment. This is the art of peacemaking. In many ways, meditation practice is the art of contentment. It is the art of ease. And I hope that during the weekend, you know, we can remember that moment to moment. Relax. Be at ease with what is. Let this moment be as it is. Listen deeply. Okay, and chairs will just follow on.
1: Hi, and welcome. So when we um, come to, on retreat together like this, we form a, a community for however long that we're together. And when we're here in community, we support each other by our presence and by all the things that Christina just said. And, we, and in turn, we're supported. We're supported by the staff. We're supported by 2,500 years of people doing this practice before us. And we're also supported by something supported and held by something we call the retreat container. And this retreat container or this thing that supports and holds us is made up of the five lay training precepts and also um, the simplicity of living. So I'm going to talk about the precepts and a little bit about simplicity. These precepts are an integral part of the training of the heart and mind. Uh, As Christina mentioned, um, they're always taught first. The Buddha always taught generosity and ethical conduct or integrity before he taught meditation. On a Buddhist altar, there's almost always flowers. And what those flowers represent is beauty and specifically they represent our beauty when we live according to ethical conduct. The other piece where the, the, the training precepts come in is they support the meditation practice, they support the calm that Christina was talking about. If we are beha- living and speaking, behaving in ways that transgress these precepts, then the heart is going to be agitated. Our hearts know, they just know, when we're speaking and behaving in ways that are harmful to ourselves and others. And when we do that, it becomes agitated and it's not possible for it to settle down then. So in re- in retreat, these precepts help to create a container of safety and in this container of safety and support we can more easily let go we can more easily just be with what is when we come into this hall or we we just come even onto the property of IMS we enter a sacred space and a field of generosity compassion and we're, we're, we're supported in this by all the yogis that came and practiced here before us and lived while they were here, and the staff and everyone who comes here by these five training precepts. So we really benefit from everyone who has come here before us because we enter that field. And in turn, while we're here and we live by these precepts, we give that gift. You know, we're giving it forward to the yogis that come here in the future. In general, when we live with ethical conduct, we give the gift of fearlessness to others. We say to others, there's nothing that's going to harm you here. And it's a tremendous gift, and it's, it's, it's a reason why IMS is such a refuge to people and other spiritual places, because they know that that safety is going to be there. So just a couple words about each of these five lay p- training precepts. The first is refraining from harming living beings. And we take on this practice, this training, to refrain from harming any living being. This is the gift of safety that we give to each other and to all living beings when we follow this. We refrain also from taking that which isn't freely given, from stealing. This means not taking anything for ourselves that we can't be sure hasn't been freely offered. Refraining from taking something that we're not sure hasn't been freely offered can really teach us a whole lot about the motive or the state of mind that was present in the wanting to take it in the first place. The third is refraining from harming with sexual energy or abstinence from sexual any kind of sexual activity. So off-retreat, we train with this precept by pl- paying close attention to this energy, this strong energy in all of us, so that we don't harm ourselves or others. And here on retreat, the way we train with this precepts is to abstain from any type of sexual activity. Why, why should we, you know, why do we do that on retreat? Why do we abstain from any type of sexual activity? As with the previous precept, when we refrain from acting out this energy, again, we can learn a whole uh, lot about it um, in a way that we may not learn if we acted it out. Also, sexual activity and even the pursuit of sexual activity really uh, takes a lot of energy, and we need all our energy to do the full schedule here. The fourth is refraining from false speech. And that's pretty, pretty straightforward here, seeing that we're going to all be in noble silence. So you can check that one off. The last one is refraining from using intoxicants. So vipassana translated means to see clearly. And it's difficult to see clearly when the heart and mind are clouded with intoxicants. It's just that simple. Also, when the the mind is clouded with intoxicants, um, we're more likely to engage in activities that transgress the other four precepts. Just a note uh, when I talk about intoxicants and drugs, if you have prescription drugs, um, please continue to take them. I really mean that. Sometimes, um, and it happens quite often, Someone will show up to retreat with prescription drugs and say, okay, meditation is now it, and I don't need to take this anymore, and that's not true. So please continue to take whatever prescription drugs that you have brought with you. So I just mentioned noble silence um, when I was talking about not lying, and just a few words on that. This, the noble silence, is another aspect of the container that holds and supports us while we're here on retreat. It supports us in being less distracted so that we can turn inward, so that we can look at things and be with them just as they are. Noble silence frees up the energy used in conversation for the practice of mindfulness. And you'll all see when we break silence, after, even after being silenced for a day and a half or two days, how much energy it takes to speak, how tiring it is. And noble silence includes any form of communication with each other. Of course, speech, but also notes to one another, eye contact, talking on the phone, calling home or talking to friends on the phone. Noble silence also supports simplicity. It just does. As soon as as we just, things become much more simpler. And simplicity really uh, supports this practice on retreat and also at home. So some things that support simplicity that will also uh, support simplicity here on retreat are if you brought a computer with you. Don't turn it on. Don't use it. Refrain from listening to music if you brought music with you. Refrain from reading books, magazines, etc. The sense of just the simplicity of sitting and walking, of just surrendering to what's happening in the moment. This simplicity also includes. And I know you heard this, but I'll just reiterate it, not talking on cell phones. Please do not use your cell phones when you're here. I think John might have mentioned that if you really need to make a call, you can go to the office and get a calling card. You support your own practice in doing this, and you support each other's practice as well. So silence and simplicity play a very important part in creating the container of this retreat. And each of us contribute to the container when we practice noble silence and simplicity.
0: So we want to end the evening with just a, a short sitting because I'm, I'm very aware, some of you have actually travelled very heroically a long way to come here. Um, so if, if you need to or want to just take just a moment to stand up and just l- let your body stretch a bit and then we'll just have a short sitting to end the evening. And just just to note that in the sitting after breakfast in the morning. I'll give some much more comprehensive um, practice instructions. But it's probably enough for this evening, even just to know that really the the first task of everybody in practice is really just to calm down. That's simple. <laughs> That's simple and that complex. Really, just to calm down and to relax. So if you could find a posture in which you feel as steady and as balanced as you're able to be. Let your back be straight and upright. Your neck upright. But also letting your body within that alertness also soften. And just being aware of any places in your body that feel tight or contracted. Your shoulders, letting them soften. Your hands, your belly. Your face, your jaw. Just as much as you're able to, just touch in a very deep sense of ease and relaxation. And being aware of your whole body, just sit in the places where you touch the ground, or the cushion, or chair, feeling the warmth, the pressure of those contact points. Being aware of your body, breathing. Even taking just one or two just slightly fuller breaths. And with each out-breath, a sense of softening, relaxing. Letting go of some of the busyness. And then letting your breathing find its own natural, unforced rhythm. Just being mindful of the rise and fall of your chest, your belly, with each breath. Breathing in with mindfulness and breathing out with mindfulness. aware of the whole body of your breath, from its beginning, the coolness of the air, touching your upper lip and nostrils, aware of the middle of your breath, where the in-breath turns to an out-breath, and aware of the ending of a breath, The warmth of that same breath leaving your body. And just that momentary pause before the beginning of the next breath. Just calmly, gently present. Just one breath at a time. One moment at a time. the last few minutes of the sitting, just expanding the field of your attention. Be aware of listening, silence, sounds. Cultivating a sense of spaciousness. Allowing Being as wholeheartedly present, collected, in this moment as you're able to be. There's always an adjustment to make in coming on retreat, and one of the things that I'd really encourage from the get-go is: please, you don't have to hurry. You don't have to be in a rush. You know, you can let go of some of the the haste and the urgency that is often part of our lives. Just let yourself settle into your body begin to be mindful of your body as you move through the building as you go from one place to another really start the practice this evening by just cultivating as much as you're able to a kind of integration of mind and body and present moment you don't have to be super slow but you know you don't really have to hurry either um, if you arrive late, you will see there's a note on the board with your room on it. And I really encourage you this evening to, to kind of clear the decks, you know, clear the decks a little, if, uh, you know, stash your phones, um, you know, know where your room is, know your way around the building. Um, and I hope really rest well this evening. The wake-up bell tomorrow is at 6 o'clock. There will be a sit-in before breakfast at 6.30. Sleep well.